Welcome to Inspired After Hours, your unique peek into the untold narratives of business leaders. We don't just talk business, we journey through their world, personal stories, and unique perspectives. Here we delve beyond corporate facades for intimate conversations that reveal the real life experiences of those who inspire us. Get ready to discover wisdom, extract life lessons, and fuel your own journey. Welcome to Inspired After Hours. Michael, welcome to Inspired Vibe After Hours. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. So uh, New York's blue collar roots to successful restaurant owner. So we want to hear all about this. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to go way back when we were growing up and all that good stuff. So well, I do want to I do want to let the listener know that if you have been up to North uh, Northern Arizona in a little town called Pine, then you've seen Old County Inn, Pinewood Tavern, and Pine Provisions. Michael owns all three. Pretty much own Pine, right? No. Half of it. It's, it's me and the uh, Mormon and the Mormons it. on the other half. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Catholic boy has some. <laughs> But let's take a step back. So you left your corporate chef career to now face the highs and lows of entrepreneurship. And amidst that, you still get to enjoy enjoy your family, travel, hiking, fine dining, and all the things you love. So we do want to talk about growing up in a blue-collar family in New York. Tell us more about that. And was there someone or something that made an impact to direct you to where you are today? Good question. Good question. Yeah. So, you know, I did grow up in Staten Island, New York. So my, my name is Mike or Michael Darling or either one. And uh, yeah, so I grew up in Staten Island and grew up in a typical blue collar family. My father, as far as it was a NYPD p- police officer, yeah, but he always worked two or three jobs. Most cops in the city, like they'll, that's their main job. And then their taxi driver, aluminum siding, doing everything on the side. And then, you know, my mother, uh, she was born on St. Patty's Day. My mother comes from an Irish background, typical, like she's like third generation came over from Ireland to Staten wow. Island. So you know, I got family that goes that's been in Staten Island for probably 200 years. So wow. kind of goes back on that side. And, uh, you know, my father, he we, we kept his last name, which is Darling, but he actually never met his father when he was a kid. And then he he was raised by more of an Italian family that he got adopted by. So um, and then later in life, he went into the police uh, police academy and became a police officer. So that's kind of the route I grew up in Staten Island. It was more definitely, you know, I think their plan was for me it was like, you're going to become a cop mm-hmm. or a fireman, follow the same thing. You work 20, 30 years, then you get your pension, and then you'll move to Florida or somewhere else, Connecticut or something. And Okay, can I ask you sequence. about that? Yeah. Because I love what you said about um, out there, typically, the police officers work two other jobs. I mean, that to me, that I make an assumption that they're doing it because they want to protect and serve, right? They want to <clears> be a part of that, um, giving back to the community or whatever. Tell me a little bit more about that because— that's a lot to work three jobs. Correct. Obviously, yeah, yeah. you're making a sacrifice for a reason. So. Yeah, and I think back then, police officers didn't, didn't make as much as they do now. You know, I think, you know, my father tells me back when he was a police officer, they were making 15, 20,000 a year. You know, that's, that's probably going wow. back 40, 40 years ago, right? So I think their mentality was always just like, you know, typical cop mentality. Like, I'll put in my 30 years. Then they're always trying to make extra money, obviously, legally on the side. So they're either doing, you know, side jobs, construction work, and, you know, because it didn't pay that much as a, so my blue collar family. So he always had a second job. So that, you know, there weren't too entrepreneurial, I guess you'd say, like my family or even anyone in my neighborhood. It was either that like growing up in Staten Island, I think you had four options. Right? You were either a police officer, a fireman, a dentist or a gangster. And that's pretty much how I grew up. Those in, were respectable that was jobs. it in Staten Island back in the whole day. Like, if you want to be respected. Correct. So in the, in the 80s. And, you know, I'm, it's ironically, I, I went to St. Teresa's in Staten Island. 
And now my my kid goes to a St. Teresa's here in Phoenix. So it's just wow. kind of fell into that. But, wow. uh, you know, I went to a typical Catholic school. You know, my mother was, um, you know, helped work there and stuff, too. She kind of took care of my brother and I. And, you know, so it was good. We lived a couple blocks from the school. And, you know, we grew up typical Catholic family in a borough of uh, between Staten Island. And then we had a lot of family in Brooklyn. So we'd always go back and forth. But, you know, looking back, you know, we'll get into vacations and stuff, too. Though I think we took... One vacation down the Jersey Shore, I would go to like uh, Connecticut or something simple. So, you know, never got onto a flight and flew to Europe and did any of that stuff. So I think I always had a little bit of a some kind of drive burning in me that I, I didn't want to just be the typical, you know, become a cop and live in this little house and struggle my whole life. And then hopefully I make enough money to retire when I'm 55, 60 and then go live in some little, re, you know, little place in Florida and just kind of live in my means. So I always had a someone was always burning inside to, to become more of an entrepreneur and open my own business. Did you have any influences growing up that were cooks or, and did you even at a young age yes. have an interest in this? Yeah. So surprisingly, I want to say when I was about 14, 15, my, my father had a, uh, I called my uncle Jimmy. It was like his best friend. They grew up in the same neighborhood and Jimmy owned a little Highland Boulevard. It's like a big boulevard in Staten Island. And there was, you know, those big restaurants and everything there, but he had a liquor store, an Italian deli. And then also he had a, a couple of shops next to it that was just doing like deli kind of stuff and the little butcher shop. So I started working there at like 15, I remember. You know, probably shouldn't be working, but we were working off the books and stuff. And I started working with the with the butcher, Tom. I still remember his name, Tom the Butcher, and we're grinding sausage, making meatballs. This is like something out of a movie with Uncle Jimmy. I, and- I want to <laughs> see this movie. Let's get this made. Everyone in, in Staten Island, like you have to have a, let's see, the Mikey, Tommy. Yeah. It's like everyone's just grew up that. Let's, so Let's reach out to Taylor Sheridan and get yeah, him to- and then And then, you know, even back then I worked, like I remember on Highland Boulevard, they had the Shalimar was like a huge catering hall. And then the Monte Carlo was like another big, so it was like big uh, Italian and Jewish wedding halls. And I worked there on the side too, so between work in the deli, working with the butcher, and then I'd wait tables and do this stuff and stuff. And, you know, back then it was like the heyday, like it was the 1980s. And, you you know, I'd go home to my small little blue collar family and then you'd work in these big weddings. And, you know, in the 80s, every mobster in town's walking around and throwing you $100 bills. And you're like, wow, this is crazy. It's like, yeah. so that's how you just grew up in that whole era. And then, um, you know, it came point like high school, like I was, you know, another thing growing up in Staten Island, it's, you know, I look back now and half the kids I grew up with, they're either, you know, it's sad to say, but a lot of them were dead in jail. They all were got into drugs, violence. I, you know, it was just the neighborhood we grew up in. So I kind of had a few options. You know, my mother and father were like, well, I don't, th- I don't think, you know, having a small rap sheet after getting in trouble a few times when I was growing up, I kind of had a, like, either you're going to go to a military school or do something. I think I got thrown out of high school once and I had to go find a new high school. So that could be another whole podcast growing up. <laughs> but And then, uh, so when I got out of high school, uh, one of my the kids in the neighborhood, his older brother, went to the Culinary Institute of America. And I remember mm. we took a ride up there to see him. His name was Casey, and he was working for Charlie Palmer's, uh, one of his restaurants in Manhattan. So we went up to the, the Culinary Institute of America, and just I remember pulling up, and it looked like a huge castle. And I was like, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. Awesome. I remember telling my father, I'm like, I'm going to go to culinary school, the Culinary Institute of America. And he's like, all right, if you want to go, we'll help you. But he's like, you got to be stupid. I remember him telling me, he's like, you're going to work. 80 hours a day and you're not going to make any money. It's just going to be, you know, because now you you have celebrity chefs and all that stuff on TV. But back then, no one, the only people that were cooks is like, it was you, a you had to do job. it. Yeah, it was, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the 80 hours a day, was it a day? Is that what you he know, said? The, like, you know, the, yeah, he's like, yo, because he see like his, um, he, he was part Greek, but whatever family he didn't know when he was a kid, his, my, had an Aunt Mary and she owned, they were in the whole Greek diner business in Queens and stuff. 
So she always kind of taught me that. Say like we'd go out to eat, and she's always talking about the diners, and we go to her house, and it was you know so kind of grew up in somewhat most it was either the restaurant business or police and firemen. So. Mm-hmm. And so you toured the institute. You said I'm going to go to the institute, and then you end right. up getting a full ride. Yeah, so I got going to the Cone Institute of America. I got some uh, scholarship, financial aid, and then you know my father helped me out a little bit to go there. And back then it was a you know if you look up the online Cone Institute of America now, I think it's like God, it's probably like 120, 130,000 for the two oh year. Oh my God, it's really wow. expensive now. But you know when we went, it wasn't that bad. So I yeah, you know, I had some financial aid, got some scholarships mm-hmm. and stuff too. But it was a two year program, so I had to go for one year, lived on campus, and then. I had to do a six months internship. So I went down to Key West, Florida, and I worked at uh, the Pier House Resort down there. Wow. And you go back, finish up your school. And then that's when I stumbled. I was walking by the, you know, the bursar's office, I think they called it when I was graduating. And they had another school popping up for the Italian Culinary Institute in uh, Piemonte, Italy. And there was like 30 students go there. And it was full, that was another full ride. Put my name in the mix. And somehow I got, I got you know, wow. accepted for that. And that was awesome. Wow. That's so then, then we went... Graduated from there, came out to Arizona for like a maybe a few weeks just to visit some friends, and then went to wind up going into Italy for about another eight months after that. So, and then you ended up in Arizona. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Was, and then uh, you got a job yeah. at where did you get? So I, I was um, so I went to Italy for about eight months. Had some friends moved out here, and then you know it always boils down to you're dating someone, right, or a girlfriend. So <laughs> my my uh, girlfriend at the time was living out here with her family, which was you know. Mm-hmm. Those, I, back in the day, I met you all for there. But, uh-huh. uh, so then I moved out to Arizona. And then I think my first job was, um, remember the old Marco Polo up on Shea? It was a supper club. Yes. And yes. It was, yeah. Yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Scott Thompson was the chef there. And I, I think I worked there for like eight months or so and then went to the uh, Phoenician for a while. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, we've known each other for, okay, so how old were we? Like 20 years, probably, yeah. or yeah. More. more. Yeah, more. So we yeah. were we were young kids running around, causing trouble in Scottsdale. Yes, the, the old uh, access radius, <laughs> yes. all the after clubbing days. Yes, it's so funny when people ask. <clears throat> a lot of people ask how Kristen and I met, right? Business partners. Oh, how'd you meet? And ninety percent of the time, I can. It's an it's an okay environment for me to say we met in an after hours party. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some people say, "What's that?" And I go, "Well, back in the day, day, uh, the bars used to close at one." And you just weren't done hanging out. So you'd go, go to somebody's house afterwards. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like, you know, we, we'd go back. So we, after when we left the Phoenician, I was there for a while and then had a, another friend out here and his father was like, I'll quit your job. and We'll go look for a restaurant. And then we stumbled upon this little it's still there. It's on Hayden and Osborne. It's called Uncle Sal's. And Uncle we took that Sal. over in 1996. Wow. And we had that till like 2000. And then. That was another whole uh, another whole episode. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, so something happened, and then he, they want that wind up closing, and then I uh, went back east for about a year or two, and just kind of I worked in Atlantic City until things uh, kind of you know changed a little bit, and then I came mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Came back why? Yeah. Why? Just love the heat. And why pine? <laughs> well, so you, I was working in Atlantic City, and then you know I was just after being in Arizona for a while, it's just like ah, you know, you, you almost it's I always say New York's a good place to be from. I don't know if I'd want to live there again. Mm. So I went back there and then I was just kind of, something was always missing the palm trees and the sun and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And then, so I wound up moving back to Arizona. And then th- at that point I got more into some more nightclubs and stuff too. There was, um, I don't know if you remember, it was called Jilly's American Grills. It was like, it was up on Butherus Drive off of uh, Scottsdale Road. Now it's like this huge, I think it was a, it's a big Mexican restaurant. They have a swimming pool in there and everything now. But uh, 
it was it was kind of like a big nightclub restaurant, and we opened up that, and then I helped them open the one in Chandler too, which was uh, right off like right off the the highway down there, Ray Road and stuff too. But so I was down there for a couple of years, and then got into uh, the food service side, which is another whole animal. So I feel like you've worked in multiple different food environments, right? Correct. From yeah. The and then at, yeah, at some point you just say, I, I got to do my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I've definitely worked more of, you know, restaurants, country club, hotels, private thing. And then, you know, you start pushing, you know, working all those hours and stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So then at some point you're just like, man, I kind of want to do something different. You start getting a little burnt out. And then mm-hmm. I had some uh, friends that got a job for it's called like a food brokerage. And food brokers pretty much sell, they're like the in-between person. So you have a manufacturer, they're almost like a, a stockbroker for food. So mm-hmm. they'll go to the manufacturer, whether they're representing, you know, croissants, chicken, grass-fed beef, fish products. And then their goal is to get it stocked with the Shamrocks, U.S. Foods, uh, you know, the, the Cisco Foods to get those in there. So I worked for a company like that for like two years. And I was also like the, court, uh, the chef of the company and then doing sales and then, Cisco Foods took a liking to me, and then they offered me a position to become their corporate chef. But you know that was out. I had a that was another whole job where I traveled the whole state and had a test kitchen there, and that's that's on the way west side on eighty things like eighty six and Buckeye. So that that was a pretty cool gig too. I got a you know pretty much Cisco I think has one hundred and fifty different sales reps. So every day I'd get in the car and I'd go to the Grand Canyon, Bisbee, Kingman, all over the whole state, and I made a ton of friends and got to see three to four restaurants a day and just helping them with products and helping them write menus and just helping them create their restaurants. Right. And then, um, after doing that for a while, then you start thinking, well, maybe I got an itch to do it again. So, but didn't you meet your wife in there somewhere too? Correct. Yeah. So (laughs) she's a food broker was. So my wife, um, her and her best friend from college, they actually are enough. They own a food brokerage called amalgamated food. And that's actually ironically, I think it's right down the street over here. It's pretty close, but, uh, so I met Jesse when I was working at Cisco Foods and her and Anne, you know, two uh, women-owned entrepreneurs and the pretty much a whole male-oriented business. Like you got yeah. you got guys that were cutting meat forever, just old school butchers and been in the industry. And then you see these two girls walk in in their skirts, dragging a little bag with chicken wings in there. And you're just like, <laughs> what are you two doing here? It was just, I mean, it was funny. And then Jesse and I started dating and then you know, one thing led to another. We wound up getting married. And then uh, um, I, at that point, we... I had a little house up in Pine. I just mm-hmm. had like a little cottage I bought and it was just my weekend getaway. So I'd always go up there. And then when Jesse and I were dating, she would come up with me on the weekends. She kind of fell in love with the town too. And then at some point I was like, all right, I, I, you know, it'd be nice to open a little restaurant down here. And then mm-hmm. where Old County is now, there was a, a big lot right there. So it's probably almost just under an acre. And this is like, I want to say right after the big real estate crash. So everything, no one was buying anything. And, saw this old man out there weed whacking. He was probably like, looked like he was like in his eight, you know, late eighties or something. And I started talking to him and then he was like, yeah, I'll make you the best deal. So we wound up buying that property, not knowing what the heck we were going to put there. It was just like, all right, we're going to buy this lot. We weren't even married yet. And it was just like, yeah, well, someday we'll put a restaurant there. And so we just sat on it. And then um, I left Cisco foods and went to work for Shamrock foods, doing the same thing as their corporate chef and traveling throughout the state, all in my mind, knowing that I was going to do some kind of restaurant there. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a plan. I just we just bought the lot, and then I was like, at some point, I'm going to get back to the industry and do something there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and then what of, clicked for you? So it's all about opportunity and like things happening, right? So since we we had the property and having a 
big background in obviously Italian food and then all different types of restaurants. So I was, I still wasn't sure what I was going to do there. And then I had a friend that uh, worked, he was a, worked in the specialty department at Shamrock. And I was like, do you know anyone that has like a wood burning oven or anything like that? And at the time he's like, you know what? I do actually, um, there was a couple that were married at the time with uh, Tammy Co from Tammy Co Cakes. She has her own yeah. pizza place now. And back then she was married to MJ that MJ does all the breads and stuff in town. And I remember going to their warehouse where they produce everything and they had two big wooden bird ovens there. And wow. I remember I was looking at it. And he's like, well, make me an offer and you can have this one. And I was like, $4,000. And he's like, no way. I'm not selling that. Cause you know, that one's <laughs> probably worth 20, 25. And then I remember day two goes by and then he calls it back up. He's like, listen, if you could move this thing, you could, you could have it for 4,000. So that's kind of out of here. Opportunity is like, I was looking mm -hmm. for a wood burning oven Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever tried to build something from the ground up, but trying to get an SBA loan is nearly, you know, they want to know you're already in the business. They already want to know you have two, 300,000 in the bank to lend you another 100,000. So it's a, you, a lot of collateral. They want to know, make sure you've ever been successful in the restaurant business. So it was kind of tough. There, was, there wasn't too many options out there trying to get an SBA loan or something, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Did you have like a long-term vision for your future, you and Jesse? You know, where you were like, this land, you said you knew you were going to build a restaurant there, but was it like, get out of it, we got to get out of the valley, we're going to settle down? Or did you, you just kind of like followed the steps as they were laid before you? It kind of, <clears throat> you know, she, Jesse's very, um, it's lucky because if, if I wasn't with her, I probably would have never done this because she's very hmm. entrepreneurial spirit. So she's very supportive. Risk taker. Yeah. So she's like, if this is what you want to do that you need to open your, she's like, you have the personality. She's like, you need to open your own place again instead of sitting in a cubicle at, you know, not to knock yeah. it, but Cisco Foods or something like you, yeah. you know, you do your gig and then you're stuck in a cubicle all day. Mm -hmm. I was like, I had other, I wanted to do, I wanted to do more than that. Right. So, and she was always very supportive. So she was, I'm lucky she's, you know, has that entrepreneur spirit when she was like, let's do it. And I remember when we bought the lot, it was, it was either, we either build a restaurant out. We didn't even have a house at the time. We were just dating. I had a house all the way on the West side after I left Cisco. And she was like, I'm not living in nothing against Goodyear, but she's like, I'm not living in Goodyear. <laughs> Cause she lived in like old town Scottsdale driving on that highway she would come you know you see the traffic there right so yeah. mm -hmm. at some point it was either you know we'll get married we'll buy a house or we'll dump all of our money into this trying to open the business so at that point i mean we were just renting a little house over here in arcadia and so we wound up you know making the gamble and trying to open up old county Inn. and when you look at the success of old county Inn, right before we started recording i told you i still haven't eaten there yet because it's typically an hour and a half ish wait Correct. It's speeding up now. It's speeding up. To get in there. Yeah. But that just speaks to the success and the success of the other places. What about your upbringing or the experiences that you went through really empowered the success that you have today? Is there something? Was there a moment? Was there a decision? Was there a person besides your wife's encouragement to say, let's, let's fucking go? No, yeah. And you know what? I think to be an entrepreneur, you definitely have to have. Let's face it, you have to have balls, I guess you'd mm -hmm. say, because you have to be willing to risk it. Ever since I was yeah. a kid, my, my parents always said, like, your brother saves every penny. He, like, puts everything away. He has, like, a plan for it. And, like, I was just always, like, you know, always taking risk. Like, you know, I'd be on a bicycle trying to jump off some tea. Like, my parents was like, <laughs> you were the wild one. I was trying to do something. So it definitely takes a lot of risk and a lot of planning on it, too. You got to be smart about it. But it, I guess at the end of the day, no risk, no reward, right? Mm -hmm. So. Like a lot of friends I had when I was when I was still working at Shamrock Foods and I worked there also, you know, some of them were there 10, 20, 30 years. And when I was talking to them about opening my own business in Pine, they're like, so you, you're making really good money. You got a health insurance. You got all this stuff. And I'm like, 
yeah, but I don't want to stay here with the rest of you guys and just melt in this box, <laughs> like in these cubicles. The rest. And now looking back, they're all just like envious. They're like, ah, oh, I can't believe you did it. So it's like, but, uh, you know, it was definitely, I remember so when I was still working in the whole food service side, there was a charity downtown. It was called You Mom. Mm-hmm. And myself, yeah. Eddie so, Matney, and uh, Michael D. Maria would like we'd auction ourselves off to do dinners at mm-hmm. people's house, and all the money that we raised would actually go to this U Mom. It was like a homeless shelter for mm-hmm. abused women and so forth. And I met this family through there, the Pierce family, the name was, and they did one or two dinners with me first, and I wound up becoming really good friends with them. And then they would invite me over to the house, and I would travel with them as like their uh, private chef. So mm-hmm. I did that on the side while I was still working at Shamrock and Cisco. And then I remember when it came after we bought the, the lot and, you know, I'm going around asking everyone, hey, you want to, I'm so glad now no one wants to invest in me because now like, I didn't want any partners in Old yeah. County. Yeah. Looking back, I'd be, you know, I was going around talking to like, every, like I've had friends, hey, let's both invest and we'll do this. And then now looking back, it's more like, you know, we'll invest. You give me half the money, I'll do all the work and then we'll split mm-hmm. the money. So I'm happy now that it did pan out. But Jim and Tammy later on, I remember going by their house, I showed them my whole plan and they're like, all right, we're going to. They lent me $100,000, and then I think I maxed out all my credit cards, all this stuff, too. And then after we bought the—I remember the day we we opened, I was like—I think I had 50, 60 grand in credit card debt, 10000 in the bank. I just hired all these people. I owed them $100,000. I had like 100 and i think I had the property I think I bought for 180 So we bought that, and I just remember I was just like, oh, when I had to quit my job at Shamrock, it's like, you know, it's we, we were going into the season, I think, when we made the— when I was going to leave Shamrock, it was like March right? mm-hmm. that year, 2016. And at that point, it's like, all right, put your big boy pants on. We got to do this. So I'm just like, you know, you're scared because you're like, you know, I just hired all these people. I'm like, yeah. if this place isn't busy, I'm going to go bankrupt in like yeah. two weeks. And I remember the first day it opened, the car started coming in. I was just like, thank you, Jesus. It was like, you know, it paid off. It was good. Yeah. What do you attribute to the instant success? <laughs> I, I think the... the Sometimes when you you know when you look at restaurants, you know there's that a lot of people always talk about location, 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 right? So mm-hmm. I think having good food, good service, mm-hmm. but location is definitely yeah. one of the key factors, right? So mm-hmm. I think Pine being an only hour and a half or an hour forty five minutes, depends where you live in in Phoenix, mm-hmm. was like a sleeper town I would call it, where you had Sedona, Prescott, Payson, all these other towns popping. You know, Payson has its own clientele, but if you go up to Prescott and Sedona, they're packed, right? And mm-hmm. it's almost the same drive. So I was always like, man, at that point, there was only one or two little restaurants in Pine. And I was like, this this whole area is just missing something. So that's what kind of gave me, you know, I was like, you know, if we do pizza, do everything from scratch, grind my own meat, make our bacon in-house, grating mm-hmm. the cheese, doing everything imported, everything's hand-breaded, everything's done there. I was like, I, I just know it would be a winner. Yeah. But, that's it's funny. like location yeah. and then experience once people, so you had a great location. Once people come in and they have the experience, then the word of mouth, Correct. the word of mouth is insane. Like everybody who moves up to that area, someone says to them, probably one person at some point says to them, go try Old County Inn. Correct. Because yep. it, it really is, trying to think of any place that's better. Definitely not with pizza, that's for sure. Yeah, we put, we put out really good Pizza's products. Amazing. We have uh, most of our team really now good. has been there with us for, you know, seven, eight years, which is mm-hmm. key. And then, you know, having that whole background, working as a chef for the food side of it, and then seeing my uncle run businesses and getting that whole side. I had some other businesses when I was younger but like that were not necessarily food-related, but little side things. So I think you have to have all those components together, like good location, know what you're doing, good food, good service. I think if you have killer food, 
because don't get me wrong, there's times when we'll, like we're in Pine and it's the rest of business. You have people, the restaurant business has a lot of turnover. So, mm-hmm. you know, you could be a Friday night, one of your servers walks out on you or something. But I think if you have good food and it's reasonably priced and it's people will come back because they, yeah. they appreciate it. And, and the scenery up there is just beautiful, like yeah. where we are. Yeah. I lived in Sedona for three years and Sedona has so many people yeah. that it doesn't need to try. So the food is awful <clears throat> in Sedona. There's mm. maybe one or two one or two spots. But what has happened is Cottonwood has just blown up the food scene. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like there's multiple places that are amazing. So I think it's location. And then people just want really good food, even if you're traveling and in a, or in a small town. When you think about besides that opening day of the restaurant, was there any other moment where you were like, like, oh, boy, I'm looking I'm looking down the road at a massive challenge here. Or if this doesn't go my way, is there any sort of standout moment for you in in any of the businesses up there? Yeah. You're you're like, "Uh, okay, we got through that one. And kind of what was the moment and how did you respond to it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think for me, one of I think one of the biggest challenges the first few years, you know, I was up there working every single day, ton of hours and putting in the grind. And, you know, like I said, we do everything in the house and scratch in there. And then I just got over something that was somewhat personal. I mean, what we're talking about here on a podcast, but I don't know if you've, have you ever heard of a dram shop case? I don't know if you know what that no. entails. So let's say you own a bar and someone's out drinking and they've stopped at one bar, go to the next bar and something happens where that person leaves your establishment, gets to an accident, you know, then that family's going to hire an attorney. And then at that point you get pulled into a dram shop case. So um, this year, it was about two years ago, we had an incident. I just got over it. Everything just passed. But we had an incident where someone was out with their spouse or something. One person was drinking. They popped at a few spots, came into ours, left. And then there was a multi-person fatality. And I don't know if you've ever been through one of those, but the, literally my hair was black like two years ago. So it's it's very stressful situation because, you yeah. know, you know, you're responsible for everyone coming off that street. And it's like so if anyone has every drink, you're responsible in that place for it. That's it. That was definitely a big kick in the teeth. Because mm-hmm. when you get into a dram shop case, it's like, you know, attorneys get involved. You're potentially stressed out there. You're going to lose everything. Mm-hmm. And having like in this instance, there was three families that passed away from one, one driver's. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Someone was up there drinking, left one of the spots and then was going back pacing. And there's a speed limit. That's 35. Mm-hmm. This person was doing 96 miles an hour mm. and unfortunately hit a mother and son and then killed the driver with them in the car. And that was about two and a half years ago. And then being, you know, we got into this. It was just emotional to yeah. hear all the stories and see all these families is yeah it was definitely a rough two years I, I after that i thought i was gonna be done i was like we make it through this i told my wife i was and then you know t- with with time things heal so mm-hmm. it, it's been two yeah. years but now we're definitely a lot smarter not to say we weren't smart we do liquor certifications mm-hmm. and all that but it just takes one person to god knows what they're doing they're drinking doing other yeah. other substances and then come in and then the minute they're in your seat now you're responsible for them. i feel mm-hmm. like that's such a weird situation because how much, I mean, obviously you have a certain amount of control over that, but you could have somebody who's really impaired, but who's high functioning. Correct. And so this, like, I feel like it's a really gray area. <clears throat> on, yes, you have some control over it, but also yeah. as a business owner, because I know for us in our business, it's what we can control, right? As much as we can control to, Correct. to control the quality of the outcome. Yeah. But then there's just some things like that where you're like, I only have so much control in this situation. Correct. And then like some, like say if you both came in, 
you had a few drinks and you're telling, oh, I'm driving, I didn't drink anything. So the keys, you don't know what happens after that. They can get to a fight or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of yeah. what the instance was there. Like somehow this person wind up getting the wheel and then, you know, it turns out the person was drinking all day amidst that yeah. they just drink. That's all they do is drink all day. So it's, yeah. it's just definitely, you know, being in the industry, there's a lot of liabilities. That's that's yeah. definitely challenging. I think that was our probably most challenging thing was that one. So I think, um, you know, what that kind of leads us into in this discussion is, um, some of the stuff that people don't really know or think about that a business owner goes through in their <clears> journey, <throat> starting a business, owning it, people who come in, the people who work for you, people are, I think, probably the biggest challenge, I think, in business, at least that's been my experience. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so we um, start dealing with multiple, like now we have three locations up there and yeah. when we started, we had five employees and now I got like 60 employees. It's definitely challenging. And then what we learned in a small town, it's, you know, like my wife always says, for the most part, people don't move to a teeny little town to like, they're some, for the most part, they're up there not hiding from something, but they want to go up there and chillax. You're on pine time. So, you know, being from New York city and being, I'm always go, 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 go. I never, even my, my GM's like, I can never see you sitting down and watching like a hour and a half movie. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't, (laughs) I can't sit still for an hour and a half. You have a different kind of an ambition than yeah. maybe people who Correct. were born there and grew up there, people who might be looking for a job, you know, so it's a, it's a little bit of a pace, different pace than you, that you move at. I think yes. that's obvious to everyone who meets you, yep. which is really cool. And I think, which has also been a lot of what makes it make sense when you look at what you've been able to accomplish there in a pretty short period of time um, in Pine. But what I was going to get at is the, the, um, I feel like our culture right now is, for some reason, we are really um, looking to uh, self-development and um, knowing ourselves better, you know, so doing that work. And I think it's absolutely critical in a business, as a leader in a business, to work on that and be good with people. Right. And so to be, in order to be good with people, we got to know ourselves, we got to develop ourselves um, learn where our weaknesses are, learn where we cross the line when we shouldn't, you know? Um, so do you have any stories that you can share about that? I know you've told me a few stories about some of your employees that were just like, you were like, what, what the heck? You know, you also have talked about how amazing your staff is and they're very loyal. You know, you have a very loyal culture. So what are some, you know, what's a story you can share with us? I think one one of the things is a good question because one of the, I I could definitely be a little hotheaded, just maybe the way I grew up. And or maybe just coming from a fast paced city. Yeah, but everybody in New York, New York just says you're direct. Exactly. Right? So, but but yeah, out on the West yeah, Coast, yeah. chill, chill mode. Exactly. So even like my wife, when she comes back, she's like, God, everyone's like, we're with the family and everyone's screaming, everyone's cursing. She's like, oh my God, you guys, you know, it sounds just like everybody loves Raymond in the house. It's like, it's, it's, it's chaos. But I think one of the things I've tried to learn, if you ask some of my staff, they're probably like, no, he's still a little hot headed. But I, you know, the first few years, like you're in there grinding and you're working. And I, I worked with a lot of classical chefs in either Europe. And, you know, if you didn't do something right, they're yelling at you, chewing your new ass. And just so the first three or four years, I was not a tyrant, but I was more like, if you weren't doing all right, then get out of here. Like just, you know, and I, I think over the last few years, I've learned to calm down because there's been so many times, like I'll, I'll put my foot in my mouth. Like you just blow a gasket and I'll get in the car and I'm like, oh God, why did I say that? And then <laughs> now it just cost me like two employees just walked out. So it's not that you have to stop caring, but I have a couple of friends in the industry and they're just like, you care too much. Like, why do you stress if their places are making money? It's a good business. Cause you know, I think 
maybe sometimes I take things to heart too much. Like I'm, you know, I'm like, why is there cigarette buds all over? And why do these people do this? And it's just like that obsessive compulsive disorder I think I have. So I, I think I'm trying to do a better job over the last few years where maybe not flying off the handle, realizing these people didn't grow up like me and that maybe, you know, they're from California or a smaller town and they're not just always go, 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 which is probably a good thing because, mm-hmm. you know, they're not so mm-hmm. on, on edge all the time. Like maybe, maybe I am. If you talk to some of my employees, they're probably like, oh, he, he comes in and he's always running around. He's telling yeah. us the light bulb's out to pick up this. So I think one of the things that's I, the biggest thing for me has just been putting my foot in my mouth too many times or yelling at someone, you know, I think back, I had these two really good cooks at the tavern. If they're listening, and one night it was like in the middle of the winter and you know let's face it now that marijuana is legal that's like you know everyone's i don't care who you are everyone and everyone in the restaurant business is vaping or smoking weed out back and there's no way to stop it anymore so at some point just be like all right i mean i know it's 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 a liability because people you know they could be under the influence but how many people in the restaurant business are smoking weed all day so at some point like i, I had uh, two employees and i went into the kitchen it was a busy night i'm like where are they and then they're both in their car, and then they came in. I just chewed them both in the ass, yelling at these two <laughs> ladies, and then they just said, fuck you, and they walked out. And then I'm like, after that, I was just like, oh, my God. And my, you know, my manager's like, why do you do that? I'm just like, I don't know. I just lose my temper. So at some point, I'm just trying to, like, calm down. Not necessarily that you don't care, but yeah. maybe not take so much. If, you know, like my wife says, you know, if we're make, making money, customers love mm-hmm. it. Everything's great. Who cares if there's some smudge or a light bulb's out? So yeah. I, I think just trying to get over that hurdle of, not being on location every day, yeah, which is an, another topic because I'm trying to spend, I have a five-year-old and mm-hmm. I'm trying to spend time with him mm-hmm. and make up for time that I wasn't there for the first three years. So mm-hmm. I think just those things, just sometimes I'll do something. I'm just like, oh God, why did I just say that? That's my biggest thing. That reminds me of, um, so uh, one of our previous guests is uh, now working with us to kind of teach us a little bit more about ourselves so we can understand ourselves <clears> and <throat> then improve our leadership mm-hmm. and our you know, approach to the business in situations like what you're talking about. Um, and it was very interesting because you're reminding me of one of the things he said, which is um, sometimes you're the person who's supposed to be bringing the energy. Correct. And yeah. and you don't understand why everyone else doesn't think the way that you do. And it's just like sets you off. Like, what what the heck? You know, that's me. So I'm just like, he, he's like, you're probably baffled that people don't think the way that you do. No, I but they me. just yeah, don't. So. They just don't. Yeah. I always go to my and wife. So I'm like, why, you she's like, why do yeah. you care? Why are you even thinking about this? I'm like, I don't know. Why is like, I just told you my cook almost cut his arm off with a sword fight. I'm like, why are they doing that? Why are they drinking and then playing swords next door next? So now I have to work the oven for If you were days. their parent. Yes. Yeah. If, if you were their parent, then, then uh, maybe the conversation needs to be had. But otherwise it's like. Okay. I almost think too much into some of their personal lives too. He's like, God, what are these people doing? <laughs> it's like, yeah. But but what he said, just to kind of bring it full circle, is that um, you you are you provide the tailwind for the other people who are involved in the business, and they need they need you to bring that energy. So it's a good thing, but obviously you need to control those situations. Correct. And and then I think what it wasn't the way it was enlightening to me was the whole piece about getting so frustrated that someone wasn't thinking the way that I did. Like, it's so obvious to me. It's like logic, you know, and I actually quote that a lot. It's logic, you know, no, so, it is, yeah. but they just don't think that way. And then I had another mentor in my life who, so just putting this, these two pieces together, um, she told me at one point about someone who used to be uh, part of our team. She's like, and she meant this and not, not the way it's going to sound, but like she said, use them while you have them. 
And she didn't mean that like use them in the bad negative way. They're there. They're collecting money from you on an hourly basis and they have certain skills and talents. Correct. Let them do their thing. Like you don't agree with something that they're doing as long as they're doing their job, use them while you have them. You know, another thing like. It's funny, my wife's almost like my my therapist sometimes, but a lot of times she'll, because she's an entrepreneur, and she's like, how many people are entrepreneurs? There's like a 2%, right? So yeah. 98% of the people don't think like us. They, they just come in, they want to punch their clock, and they just do enough to get by, and then, you know, they yeah. work hard, but mm-hmm. they're not thinking about, like, they mm-hmm. just threw away a whole case of chicken because it was sitting out on the, you know, things like that. It's like, yeah. so when you're an entrepreneur, there's only so many people that are, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, just something, yeah. like, I never thought about it that way, too. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. Most people... Just want to have just normal nine to five job or mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's what exactly. sets us apart, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also people are at a certain point in their journey, you yes. know, it's like where they're at and they see you and they get inspired by you and maybe just like you and your journey, you know, maybe one day they go and they open up their own restaurant because oh, I worked with this guy, Mike, he was so inspiring. I didn't really talk to him too much. I just went in, kept my head down, got my job done or whatever. Sometimes I was smoking weed out back, but you know what? He inspired me. <laughs> Correct. He did. So I'm going to go home. I'm going to go smoke weed with him in the back. No, maybe they're like, you need to smoke pot. I'm like, that makes me paranoid. I can't. Yeah. And me to, too. And to be, uh, to be perfectly <laughs> candid, talking about as people are on their own step in the journey, who would have ever thought that 25 years ago? Yeah. You, you know what's funny? Three of us what were in heck? a kitchen. Correct. And my and, wife says, see, she's like, picture you. What, what were you doing? To-? I'm like, oh, right. shit. Yeah, you're right. I was doing a lot <laughs> a worse point. than that. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a good point. I was yeah. cooking veal, sautéing veal, and God knows what we were doing. I wasn't even doing anything. I was just there eating and partying. That, that was my life. <laughs> and look at us now. And look at the three of us now. It was now. worthless. No, no. <laughs> it's it's uh, So, like, I'm, on. you know, the other thing is, like, trying to be around more entrepreneurs stuff, too. So, I, I think I told yeah. you, like, my wife's in is called EO, which is an entrepreneur organization. Mm-hmm. That's all over the whole United States. So, she's been in it for, like, two or three years. I'm actually applying for it. Hopefully, I'll get into it this fall just because just to get around some more like-minded individuals. Because yeah. it's, it's sometimes, like, I'm always surrounded by all my employees all the time and yeah. everyone in Pine. And mm-hmm. so, hopefully, this year, I'll get some more... Uh, entrepreneurs to be around so I could uh so it's always good yeah. to expand because they give you give me some drive like yeah every, every day I feel you like need drive it. no correct oh man Can somebody gives <laughs> some, some drive seriously no, there's days like I would just fall I'm like you know what especially getting through this last two years with all that going on I'm like I'm done I'm gonna sell everything I'm gonna go work at Walmart and just sit there and <laughs> put stuff in the bag but and then I'll talk to like for instance I have like my my friend John uh John owns the Grand Canyon breweries, right? And mm-hmm. that guy's, you know, he just bought one in Kingman and he's growing like crazy. And then, you know, he kind of gets me excited. Like, oh, I get, you know, he's like, just keep growing. You got to keep going. So you know, I have friends that have 10, 20 restaurants. I'm like, I don't even know how they do it, but it gives, you know, makes me want to grow more. And so every time uh, I get ready to throw the towel in. I was just going to finish this up with that very juicy question. So you sort of stole it, but I do want you to answer. If someone came to you right now and said, I want to buy it, I want to buy it all. Would you sell it? That's a good question. There's always a price. <laughs> I don't. Jesse's like, Jesse's like, can I vote? Can I, can I call in a vote? <laughs> no, it's it's funny because there's been times where you think about it, but then, you know, she puts it into perspective. Well, I'll talk to like, I, it's just funny. My parents are, my father's 82. My mother's 80. I call them every day. I talk to them on the phone every morning, just hmm. while I'm in the car. But my father's always like, what, what you, he sounds like, uh, you know, George Costanza's dad. What are you, you going to do then? Are you gonna, what are you going to go sit at the house and twiddle your thumbs? I'm like, you're right. So, you know, I guess, so when you think about it, it was like, yeah, you could cash out and then, you know, let's say you sold three, four million. 
that you know, what are you going to pay 30 40% tax on it right my mm-hmm. wife's like then what are you going to do you're going to have to go get a job we have a 5 year old so when you start <laughs> yeah. thinking about that I'm like that yeah, you're right. much. <laughs> you know I, unfortunately I waited till I was uh, older to have kids so but uh no I th- I think some parties sometimes like I said you you get fed up with like all the chaos and you know lawsuits and things going on like that and you're just like I'm just going to sell it but then when you actually sit down you're like you know what would I do it's what I love to do I love the chaos so mm-hmm. to answer your question probably not but yeah but everybody has a number. Everyone has a number. If there's anyone listening. No, one of my, I've always thought about expanding because the Old Counties has such a good brand and gets mm-hmm. such a good name. And I think sometimes when you expand, like now I have two separate concepts that have nothing to do with this one. But I'd like to eventually maybe do another Old County if I could kind of, you know, condense your, your brand, I guess. Get yeah. back to where it was. Yeah. Love that. All right. Well, Amber's going to be up there getting pizza next week. I yes. Am. Text I us am. or call us. Or they'll come. Go out saying. back where the kids are smoking weed and you just go through that door. <laughs> through the kitchen. <laughs> through the kitchen and ask for Chef Mike. Take a drag on your way in. Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> this I weekend I will be on the Mike. oven because my uh, one of my cooks cut himself with a sword. So if anyone wants <laughs> okay. to see me cooking this weekend, I'll be back there yelling at everyone. No, yeah, I'm going to be zen, zen-like. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank Thank you you for coming and sharing some of your journey with us. Thank you. Good to see you. And we'll have you back to tell the other two stories that you mentioned. Yes. Those are juicy. That's a juicy one. We're going to need another (laughs) round of tequila for that. Yes. Yeah. I have a lot of stories on that one. So thanks. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Thank you. Cool. That's a wrap for today's journey on Inspired After Hours. We hope our conversations have offered you unique insights and ignited your own aspirations. Remember, every story we share is a beacon of wisdom meant to inspire your own path. Stay with us as we continue to delve into the lives of successful leaders. Subscribe to stay tuned and join us next time on Inspired After Hours. Until then, stay inspired.